0: You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by Casper. Go to casper.com forward slash brain and get 50 bucks off your order. Make sure to use the promo code brain when checking out to get the discount. Oh, a good night's sleep. Who'd want that? Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want, now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, Personal Empowerment Coach and host of The Overwhelmed Brain. This is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about on this show should not be mistaken for actual medical advice for treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. What you'll find here is an increase in your emotional intelligence, a strengthening of your self-worth and self-esteem, the motivation to be your authentic self, and the forward momentum to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. All right, the first thing I want to talk about is an email that I received who um, the email writer told me, don't use this on the air. (laughs) So I'm not going to use the email on the air, but I am going to use the general subject matter uh, regarding what that email was about, which is making decisions or making a a commitment uh, or asking yourself, how do I know the right decision to make? How do I know what my heart wants? And here's a big one. What happens if I make the wrong decision? And how about this? How can I commit to a decision when I'm just not sure? How do I know which path to take? I'm not sure, especially because I don't know what my heart wants or what if I'm wrong? You know, all of these these questions can come up in life uh, in any circumstance that happens to you in relationships, in career, in uh, uh, just being in a supermarket. <laughs> you know, It's like, what if I get this watermelon and I only use half of it? the other half will rot. (laughs) It's a big waste. If you have those kind of uh, dilemmas, well, this segment's for you. And of course, the bigger uh, issues in life, like, uh, should I get married? Should we have kids? Should I take this job in Alaska or Siberia or wherever you maybe do or don't want to be? Nothing against Siberia or Alaska. But uh, if you're living in Florida, that might not sound appealing. So these are the uh, dilemmas in life that we have to face almost every day, right? Like, oh, maybe I should um, eat eggs for breakfast or pancakes or something else. And some people have problem making these choices. So whether they're minor choices or major life choices, there is a path to making choices, to committing to a decision where you eventually become comfortable doing it because that's the idea right is to get comfortable making decisions so that you're not stuck uh stagnating if that's a word you're not stuck in speculation mode thinking well should i do this shouldn't i uh what should i do next uh, i'm afraid to take that path because that path might lead to something i don't want there's not enough time in life to always think along those lines and I want to talk about that because life is all about choice every second of the day is practically you're making choices and if you aren't aware of the choices you're making it's because they got easier and easier over time why because you made choices and the more you make choices the easier it becomes. What we tend to do is blow up the idea that making some choices is harder than others. And it is true. I mean, some choices are harder than others. But what are the choices that hold you back when you don't make them and keep you in stagnation? We want to get out of that rut of indecision. And one of the reasons you may be in indecision is because... You focus on the consequences of the decisions that you make. And one of the things I like to teach is that when you have a big decision, or any decision really, but anything that you're contemplating, anything that you're speculating, when the moment of decision comes up, I prefer you focus on what you want today, here and now, instead of what will happen if I make this decision. This doesn't work with every single thing in the world. Because sometimes the here and now is an impulse decision that might lead to something bad down the road. But for the most part, when we focus on consequence, a lot of the times we make stuff up. We think, if I do this, then this exact thing will happen. And that is what I call making it up. And this is really handy when it comes to honoring your personal boundaries. Uh, when you're honoring your personal boundaries, I, I truly believe that 99.9% of the time, you focus on here and now on what you want. And because if you focus on the consequences, you'll probably have a harder time honoring yourself, honoring your boundaries. The 0.1% of the time that you should focus on the consequences is when you're dealing with someone who might be abusive or violent. That is certainly a uh, a moment where you want to think, Well, if I honor myself, am I going to get hurt? I mean, badly hurt. Or is is someone I love going to get hurt? Yes, you pick your battles wisely. But when it comes to anything outside of like honoring your personal boundaries and you're just making uh, regular life choices, like should I date this person? Should I take this job? That's when I want you to focus on what I want here and now, which is something we need to talk about because maybe you don't know what you want here and now. So how do you know what you want here and now? I think one of the first things is to focus on the bigger picture. Think about the ideals of what a good uh, life is to you. Like, um, th- what are the ideals of a relationship? What would be ideal in a relationship? I mean, don't look at your current partner. If you're with someone, don't look at them. Think about the ideal relationship with anyone. If you started off with a blank slate and you go, this is what I want in a relationship, and you started writing things down, then you go, hmm, I want uh, honesty. I want someone who finds me attractive. I want someone who doesn't smoke or does smoke, or I want this, I want this, I want this. That would be an ideal relationship. And then you'll have all of the components that make up the right decision for you. Now, what you do with that is up to you. For example, you might have an opportunity to say date someone or get with someone that doesn't meet all your ideals let's just say that we wrote all those down and you don't want a smoker and they smoke do you have room enough in your uh, perfect scenario of a relationship to allow a smoker or do you know in your heart that that's going to bother you every time they smoke around you or even not around you even they you know they respect you and they smoke outside and then they come in and they smell like smoke is that going to bother you Because if it is, then you'll probably never be fully happy because the relationship doesn't meet your ideals. So I think listing your ideals for what you want in a particular situation is a great way to make decisions. So if you're looking at your life and you see some of your ideals aren't there, you probably know what decision to make. Now it's just a matter of making that decision taking the step if you want to some people will say well 51% of the time I'm happy so I can live with the 49% that I'm not happy personally those numbers aren't good enough for me I think 95% and higher for me is more of something that I want in my life Uh, if it's more half and half than that then I'm I'm seeing many ideals that aren't being met I mean, you can call them values. I talk about values a lot in this show, but uh, looking at them as ideal, like what is ideal, is a great way to just understand how you know what decision to make. Actually making the decision, yes, that's a the next step and the big challenge because a lot of people focus on, like I said, the consequences. If I make this decision, then this consequence might happen. So, The question after that is, am I making it up? Do I absolutely know for sure that that's the consequence that'll happen? And some people might say, yes, I know that'll happen. Where I would respond, well, when I made a choice where I knew I was going to get punched in the face, (laughs) when I stood up to my stepfather that one day and he didn't punch me in the face, suddenly I had a new reality, a shift in perspective. Suddenly I realized that, huh, what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. So what does that mean? Does that mean I'm carrying around false beliefs? Yes. <laughs> you are likely carrying around false beliefs, especially if you're someone who can't make decisions uh efficiently, expediently and just be the person who says, "Let's do this." You know, just be that person. It takes time to get to that place, to build that confidence inside of you to be able to decide pretty quickly. But how do you do that? How do you get to that place where you're more confident and that you can make decisions faster? Well, here's the tough part. You actually have to make decisions in order to get good at making decisions. And what does that mean? That means that the only way to learn what decisions are right or wrong is by deciding to do something to find out if it's right or wrong. This is one of those you uh, can't gain knowledge without signing up for the lesson type things. If you don't sign up and learn what it takes to make a right decision and instead choose not to make any decision and sit in stagnation and uh, hope things work out or hope that you get some sort of revelation somewhere down the road. If you choose not to do anything not to decide and never sign up, then you never learn the lesson. You never learn what you want in life. You never learn what you don't want in life because you haven't made the choice that led to a consequence to learn from that consequence that shows you what you want or don't want, if that makes sense. (laughs) It's not going to happen because you don't sign up. And, And until then, until you sign up, it's all guessing. Guessing is speculation. Speculation is stagnation. Spending months or years speculating can be one of the biggest wastes of time. It's the epitome of inaction, and you go nowhere fast. And then you wonder why you can't make decisions or trust your instinct. Because you never test them. If you don't test your decisions, you can't trust your decisions. If you never put it out there and just go for it, you never learn from it. And why is that? Why don't you go for it? Because there's fear and it's the fear of the consequence. Now we're back to consequence. So let me tell you a story. Um, I never tell stories on the show. So when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, and I was looking for work, I was looking on the job boards and I would see a job and I'd be like, hey, I could probably qualify for that. But then this fear would kick in. And I felt this fear of, you know, if I sign up for this job, then I have to commit. Then I'm stuck. That's what my consequences were. I always felt like I was going to be stuck with something if I made a choice that wasn't quote right. And I didn't like that feeling of being stuck. I didn't like the idea that I'm going to I'm going to commit to something and now I'll be there for an indefinite period of time so I didn't make the decision. I chose not to apply for many jobs. And because of that, it took me a long time to get work. Because I would have this feeling if I sign up for this job and I actually get it. Oh no, now I have to go to it. (laughs) So I would attach a foreverness, a permanency to my decisions. Which prevented me from making decisions. Which prevented me from taking action. And it took a long time for me to realize that wait how many things in life are actually permanent even if i applied for a job and worked there for three months well they could fire me they could just say we don't want you here anymore but then i look at my past and i go wait i don't get fired i mean i usually show up i'm very loyal and very dedicated and i will be there until i get burnt out and then i was like oh wait there's another um belief that i'm carrying around that I have to stay somewhere until I'm burnt out. Well, where does that come from? Why do I have to stay until I get burnt out? Well, I I don't want to cause trouble. If I quit before I get burnt out, I might cause them inconvenience. And so I'm going through this um, scenario in my mind of not wanting to work because I don't want to later on put them under any inconvenience because before I get to a burnout point, Uh, I won't be able to quit because I I don't want to uh, make waves. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a ridiculous set of rules that I put on myself that I can't speak up. Like, what if I worked there for a month and I didn't like it? Why couldn't I just go up and quit? And that made sense to me. And I finally go, wait, I'm carrying around this sense of permanency that I have to stay somewhere forever until I get burnt out and then I can leave when that's not true. I mean, even if you get into a relationship and you, and you find out a month in that the other person's not compatible or maybe they're even a little abusive or maybe they're just way too clingy for you, there's something about them that really rubs you the wrong way. Where do you go with that? Do you say, oh, now that I've made the, the decision to be here, be with them, I can't get out of it. Because if that's where you go, then you are committing to that stagnation. You're committing to a rut. Instead of choosing another path, you chose to be with the person. You can also choose to be without the person. I know it's not easy. I, I've simplified that process. <laughs> and there are feelings or emotions involved. But uh, you have to look inward and go, okay, when I make decisions, I have to reanalyze those decisions sometimes I have to reassess what I've done in my life because now it's not working because you make decisions in the moment hoping they'll work and when they don't you make another decision I know that's the hard part sometimes right now I have to make another decision now if I leave I'm going to hurt this person or it's going to hurt me because I've committed so much I've moved a thousand miles to be with them and now it's not working So, I think the idea behind that is to stop committing to what isn't working, which is why it's important to take a step out of it, look at a bigger picture, look at what your ideal situation, what your ideal environment, what the ideal people in your life look like, and then make decisions based on those ideals. If you're making decisions based on uh, old beliefs that aren't working for you anymore, like the one I carried around for so long, believing that if I started a job, I would have to stay there until I got burnt out, then you're going to be in indecision and you're not going to find too much of your life progressing along too swiftly. It's going to be very prevalent that something is off in your life and that you're not getting anywhere. And you'll have those feelings of, I don't want to commit to a decision. What happens if I make the wrong decision? The idea is to sign up, learn the lesson, make the decision because you're going to be wrong. You're going to hurt feelings. It's going to happen. There's no way around it. You can either choose to stay stagnant and unhappy or make a decision, try it out, see if it works, and when it doesn't, make another decision it's not easy. (laughs) This takes leaps of faith. This takes you going, I'll never learn unless I do it. Remember, you can't gain knowledge without signing up for the lesson. You have to learn what works and what doesn't. And the more you make decisions, the more you'll learn to trust your decisions, to trust yourself, to trust your instincts. If you never test them, you'll never trust them which reminds me of a, another time in my life in my early 20s when I got pretty good at installing car stereos because I was kind of an audiophile back in the day and I would love to hear good quality sound out of my car. So I learned how to install car stereos and I would run wires under the carpet and through the side panels to the back to the speakers and amplifiers and things like that. And I really got into it and I was thinking, hey, maybe I could turn this into a business. I enjoy doing it. Um, I like testing the equipment, hearing good quality sound. So I told one of my neighbors, I was talking about what I was doing, and he's like, hey, maybe we should go into business. I work with, I forget what he said, maybe marine audio or something like that. Uh, Maybe you can install the car stereos and I can install marine audio. I was like, hey, that sounds interesting. So we talked a little bit back and forth. And um, as we talked for a few days, I started getting a little uncomfortable. Because he brought in the idea of like working, me working with dealerships and um, putting stereos in brand new cars and things like that. And that made me a little uncomfortable. Like, brand new car? What if I destroy the dash? <laughs> I don't know if I'm that good. But um, I still went along with it thinking, you know, there's kits out there. I can just install a kit. I'm, I'm sure everything will be fine. But my ideal situation was starting to crumble. And I was getting that feeling like, oh, this isn't exactly what I want. But my conflict was, but it's car stereos and I I enjoy doing that, so it, it'll probably be great. But if I were to take a step out of that picture and look at my ideal situation, it no longer matched. So there I was getting more and more uncomfortable day after day that we were talking. And I just started getting into... Uh, the very first leap into the business and I decided that I needed to back out and uh, there I was and I had to tell him look I need to back out I I don't feel comfortable about this and he was surprised and like what we had all this stuff getting ready to go and now you're backing out And it was so hard for me to do that because at, at that time I hated confronting people I hated being honest that I knew someone would be upset if I was honest And so it was very hard for me to face that and do it, but I was able to get out of that back out of it and chose not to take that career path. And I was so grateful I did. So my whole point behind that was I made the decision because I thought it was the right one and then things changed. And my personality is to commit to my decisions, to be loyal, to be a man of integrity, so I showed up time after time talking about it, continuing to go in that direction, and then I found out that it was no longer ideal. Things were shifting for me, and now I had a conflict on myself of, boy, I'm a, I'm a man of my word, and here I am going against my word. That's because I measured it against those ideals, and that's what I want you to do too. I want you to measure your decisions against your ideals, because when they don't match, you might need to make another decision. You can't do that with everything in life. I mean, once you climb the mountain, you have to get back down. So if you can't change your mind going, oh, why did I climb this mountain? I'm going to get off this mountain. No, you sort of have to get back down now. (laughs) So you got to reclimb it except going down instead of up. But, you know, that just happens. Sometimes that happens. But for the most part, most decisions aren't permanent. You can look at your ideals and decide whether they're going to be permanent or not. So for the person who who wrote the letter where I didn't mention any particular subject matter, didn't talk about um, any specifics from your letter, I hope this helps you and I hope uh, anyone listening can get to a place where deciding isn't such a a challenge because the more you decide, the more you learn and the faster your decision making gets. It's pretty easy for me to make decisions now and um, trust my feelings on things because I've tested it over and over and over again. It's sort of like with um, personal boundaries. I've tested my personal boundaries over and over and over again until I got to the point where I go, it's easy to honor myself. That's no problem. <laughs> Put me in a situation, I'll honor myself. No problem. Because I've tested it. And quite frankly, I've lived through every situation. And uh, what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. So I carried around these false... Beliefs of consequence that never took place, which reinforced my confidence and um, assurity that uh, I could go in a direction that honored me with less and less fear over time. Hope this helps. If you're having trouble with decision making, committing, or breaking commitments, even sometimes you need to break a commitment because the ideals have shifted, because they've changed, because they aren't matching up, or because they weren't as you expected can't do it with everything, but I bet you can do it with most things in your life. It's just a matter of taking that leap and changing what you need to change for you so you don't waste any more time in things that no longer fulfill you. We'll be right back. Ask Paul coming up next. You are getting sleepy. (laughs) It's funny to think that I used to be a hypnotist. Uh, Well, I wasn't one of those kind of hypnotists that swung the watch in front of your face and said things like, Your eyes are getting heavy. (laughs) But don't get tired just yet because before you do, I want to tell you about Casper mattresses. If you haven't heard about Casper yet, then maybe you're already getting a good night's sleep, right? Right? Otherwise, you likely would have already searched for a comfortable and affordable mattress. I don't know about you, but when I search online for a mattress, I don't type in the search bar, where can I buy the most expensive mattress available? (laughs) No, instead I type, a quality mattress at a great price. And uh, when I do that, I find Casper. The first thing I noticed when I first found them was that Casper is one of those companies that simply delivers. And by that, I mean delivers in every possible way. When you buy a Casper mattress, not only do you get free delivery in the US or Canada, but they'll even pick it up for free if you're not completely satisfied within a hundred days. And I thought, wow, when a company offers that kind of risk-free opportunity, I want to know more. And I want you to know more too, because it's something I want you to take advantage of. Free delivery of an obsessively engineered mattress, at a price you won't believe. And with 100 days to try it out, along with them even picking it up if you don't like it, there's no drawback. Just draw the covers over you and feel that springy and comfortable memory foam mattress that I'm sure you're going to love. So try them out. Sleep on a Casper mattress for 100 nights, risk-free in your own home by going to Casper.com. Forward slash brain. Just visit that site, select the size mattress you need, and in no time you'll be enjoying a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. You'll find its breathable design helps keep you cool and regulates your temperature throughout the night too. I love risk-free, so if you've been thinking about buying a new mattress and were worried about the commitment, take that worry out right now by visiting casper.com forward slash brain. Oh, and if the risk-free option wasn't enough to buy one now, use the promo code BRAIN during checkout and get $50 off your purchase. Ah, can you feel that comfort washing over your entire body? You know, I may not use lines like this anymore. You are getting more and more relaxed. (laughs) But that's okay because you can experience that on your own on a Casper mattress. Visit casper.com forward slash brain and use the word brain at checkout. Hey, that should be easy to remember. All right, a blast from the past uh, with that disco music. (laughs) This segment is called Ask Paul. This is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to answer a challenge or Uh, Help them through a situation that they're going through. This letter is from someone I'm going to call. um, I haven't used Barry yet. I'm going to call you Barry. Barry says, I wanted to reach out and say a huge thank you to you. Ever since I discovered your podcast, I've been listening uh, intently. I had an epiphany when I first heard you sign off. I have been stuck for a while with work and relationship issues. And, uh, all, I think, connected to having had major medical dependencies and multiple medical procedures going back at least 20 years. I've been trying to make sense of my story whilst trying to keep pace with my career, my peers, and my opportunities, but it really became too much around two years ago when I collapsed. It didn't stop me for long, and I've continued to push on. I even found love last year, but it was complicated, isn't it always, he says and I worked in a role that wasn't good for me. The following year, recovering from surgery, leaving my job, and nursing a a broken heart because the woman I fell in love with uh, got engaged to someone else. I haven't listened to all of your podcasts yet, but I wonder if there is one around long-term medical challenges and how we just push on and act all stoic. At the same time, not realizing there's a ticking time bomb psychologically If you can think of one, please let me know the date and the title so I can find it. I've just purchased and downloaded the Stop Self-Sabotage Workbook on your website, so I'm looking forward to doing that. And once again, I think you've arrived at my life at just the right time, and your voice and guidance are having a profound impact. Thank you again, Barry. All right, Barry, thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for your words about the show, and I'm glad it has helped you at this time So, your question is one of those um, ultra, almost along the lines of what is the meaning of life questions. And the reason I say that is because uh, when you've been dealt a bad hand in life, when everything goes wrong and then more goes wrong and then more goes wrong, what what do you do about it? How do you handle it? Uh, where, Where do you go emotionally with it? I mean, there's a point where you just can't take it anymore and you don't know how much more you can take. And so that's why I say, it's like asking, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of existence? How do you answer it? It's a challenge and it's, and it's been a challenge for me to answer things like that. I did uh, address chronic pain in an episode called uh, The Pain of Chronic Pain. And uh, if you look that up, if you go to my website, theoverwhelmedbrain.com, in the search field, just type in chronic pain. It'll come right up. So if you haven't heard that yet, that that might help. And uh, there's a good message in there, I think. Um, but I'm going to address this. I'm going to address this high-level, what is the meaning of life <laughs> uh, question, because it is so important. And there are people out there, including yourself, that are dealing with bad hand after bad hand, after bad luck, after disaster. I mean I talked about uh similar things in uh the crisis episode I had a week or two ago where you know you're in crisis what do you do and so I think that's also a good reference so look up uh crisis in the search field for that as well but let's talk about this let's talk about when you get into a situation in life where nothing is working out and everything keeps going uh downhill in a downward spiral and this could be Associated to a number of things. It could be life events. It could be your people that you've lost in life, uh, relationships that you've lost, jobs that you've lost. Very similar to that crisis episode. But I want to mention what you referenced, which is chronic pain, chronic illness, and uh, recurring pain, recurring illness. What do you do with it? And it is a hard question to answer because I'm in a position where I am no longer in chronic pain. So, To answer your question would almost be like me telling you how to raise your kids (laughs) because I don't have kids. So I don't have too many episodes where I talk about kids. I do have episodes where I talk about kids, but not in the sense of I know what's right for you and I know what you should do, but more along the lines of how best to communicate with them as people and not in the sense of this is how you raise your kids. So when i talk about chronic pain i did have chronic pain sciatica for about 15 years that got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until i finally had trouble walking up and down stairs without pain i mean going on a flight across the country on an airplane oh my god that was that was hard because there was no position that was comfortable so i would sit there in pain and um you know my I used to inline skate a lot and I I found that was causing me more and more pain. So it just got worse and worse and then I think the day it got the worst was when uh I moved to California and I lifted boxes the appropriate way but after that uh move I was like bedridden for like a day and a half and I just I just couldn't <laughs> I just couldn't move without pain and I realized something Uh, shifted inside of me something got worse so let me fast forward i eventually got surgery and had a a metal rod put in my back and now i am 98 percent better i rarely feel sciatic pain and when i do it's minor and i am so grateful (laughs) i'm just i just feel that pain and go oh there i don't say there's that pain again i go there's that minor pain that used to be major that used to be awful and I just put myself in this place of gratefulness. So that's where I am with chronic pain today, is that I got through it. Does that matter to you? Probably not. <laughs> do you care? Probably not. Well, maybe you do. But I'm going to give you my perspective while I was in chronic pain, which is this. There's, I actually have three things. I made myself a little bullet list I want to talk to you about. Uh, one of them is um, peace and suffering are defined in what you know you can control And what you know you can't. The trick is the acceptance of what is and what will never be. Now if that didn't make sense or if it did or if you want me to expound on it, I'm going to do it right now. Uh, Peace and suffering are defined in what you know you can control and what you know you can't. That means there's a point when I got in pain that was so bad that um, no matter what I did, and I did stretching exercises, I did yoga, I did all kinds of things, to try to get out of the pain. There was a point where the pain didn't go away anymore. And I finally said, there's nothing I can do about it. There's I cannot control this pain anymore. And when I did that, my suffering stopped. My pain continued, but my suffering stopped because I was always trying to control. I was always trying to resist the pain I was in, which meant I was always trying to control the pain so it wouldn't happen. So I felt more peace not having to try and control it anymore. It felt better, but you know, not physically, but mentally. I felt mentally better. Yes, I'm still in pain. Yes, I still feel it. Yes, I have trouble walking up and down stairs or even sitting. But mentally, I came to a better place because I stopped resisting it and realized I couldn't control it anymore. And so it was a place of acceptance. I accepted that I could not control it anymore. It's a concept they teach in um, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. What is it? You surrender to the control. It's the, um, I think it's a serenity prayer. I think that's what it's called, Alcoholics Anonymous. Let me look it up. I don't want to misquote it here. All right. The serenity prayer says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And it goes on from there. But that's uh, pretty much where I came to an acceptance of, knowing that I I can't change it. So that, that brought me some peace. So that's my first thing. The second thing is, what you express gets an opportunity to get released. And what you don't express festers. So what does that mean? That means that whatever... Emotional attachment that you have to the chronic pain that you're in, if that stays inside you without being expressed, then it will continue to fester and add to your misery. And that's not fun. And when you have anger, I mean, I reached a place where I hated my body, I hated what my body was doing to me. I also had sadness. I had deep sadness that I was in this pain and that I couldn't do anything without feeling it. I remember starting a project in the garage and for the first few nights I was in such pain that I don't even think I could finish the project and I would go to bed and I would just be sad. And I finally was able to express that. This is when I was married to my wife and saying, I just feel so sad. I I start these projects and I I can't even do what I love to do anymore. And I just expressed that even though I felt vulnerable and I felt small like a a child and nothing against children. I'm just saying when you're a child, you feel like you can't handle what the world is throwing at you. You just feel overwhelmed. So I I, I don't know if I was crying, but I just felt so sad. And I finally expressed it to my wife. And that really helped. It didn't mean I could just get up and... Be out of pain and go finish my projects. It just meant that the emotional challenge that I had uh, was no longer part of the overall misery of what I was going through. So it's a matter of reaching a place where you sort of disconnect your emotional attachment from the pain itself, from the physical pain, because those can be two separate things. I mean, I talked a long time ago about, and you've heard this on many other shows, I'm sure. Victor Frankl, like I think it's called Man's Search for Meaning, when he was held captive in Nazi Germany and uh, tortured by soldiers, he had to separate somehow, I don't know how he did it, but he reached that place, his emotional attachment to the physical pain and even developed compassion for the people who were torturing him. So I know it's possible, and he wrote a book about it, Man's Search for Meaning, which goes over the whole thing and um really helps you come to terms that you can separate the emotional suffering from the physical suffering. I believe that suffering stops when the emotional connection to it is um severed. Because you can still feel the pain, but you don't have to suffer. Suffer is the emotional aspect of it. So there's uh number two. Number three is and this is a little strange. <laughs> Surrender to the ridiculousness of it all, so that you can stop trying to fight the unfightable. It doesn't mean you stop trying to heal yourself. It doesn't mean you stop trying to find the right um, medical care or even emotional care, therapeutic care, whatever you need. You just stop fighting it. I stopped fighting my sciatica, meaning I stopped resisting it. It was just so—it was just so prevalent. It was ridiculous. (laughs) It just wouldn't go away. I just looked up into the sky and I go, Why? Why? (laughs) Why is this still here? Why me? You know, you ask those questions when you're in chronic pain. Why am I going through this? I'm angry. I'm sad. I might be a little afraid that it's never going to go away. So, what I did was just realize how ridiculous it was. What am I doing here on this earth existing in pain? It's so ridiculous. And I surrendered to the ridiculousness. (laughs) I stopped fighting. I just gave in. Uh, But I never tried, I never stopped trying to resolve it. And I think that's vital is that on your quest for resolution, to feel better, to heal, you take the drama out of it, you take the emotional suffering out of it. You just realize it's so damn ridiculous that, you know what, there's nothing I can do. It's ridiculous. I'm just going to surrender to the ridiculousness. It's just ridiculous. And for some reason, at least when I try it on, that feels okay with me. This is ridiculous. <laughs> How many more years of this am I going to have to go through? I hate it. It sucks. I surrender. Fine. It's ridiculous. Whatever. You know, I just feel like it's pointless to resist it. So it's kind of along the same lines of um, knowing what you can control and knowing what you can't. But I go the extra mile and say, this is absolutely ridiculous. And that makes me feel better. So it might help make you feel better too. So that's what I have to say, Barry. Listen to the chronic pain episode. See if that helps you. And certainly this is one of those very, very challenging questions that um, somebody from the outside is never, and this is another thing, I guess, no one's going to understand what you're going through except you. And that's what kind of adds to the ridiculousness is that you are suffering in a way that no one else is experiencing. Yes, there might be people with the same condition and might be suffering worse than you are, but no one will understand your suffering the way you suffer except you. And it feels very alone, which is also ridiculous. (laughs) This is ridiculous. But you have to come to a place where the emotional suffering stops long enough So that you can do the physical things that you need to do for yourself to stay alive, to stay as healthy as you can, to keep trying to find a resolution and healing for yourself and to do whatever you can to get to a better place. But what happens is that emotional stuff builds up and uh, we don't want it to build up. We want to express that and that might mean you find someone safe to do that with. You find a support group. I highly recommend support groups. I have people uh, write to me and say, I feel so alone in everything that I'm doing. And I'm, and I'm like, find a support group. Do it now. Because if you can't afford therapy, then at least you can talk to other people that are in a similar situation as you. And that can be very helpful. And of course, there's a, a thousand resources online that can help. Uh, you just want to look for the ones that really resonate with you. I hope this helps, Barry. Thank you so much for writing and I do wish you the best through this. Send me an update sometime. We'll be right back with another Ask Paul letter. All right, we're back with another segment called Ask Paul Part (laughs) 2. I have a little extra time, so I'm going to read something to you. But before I do, I just realized uh, from the last segment, Ask Paul Part 1, that uh, not only do I have previous episodes on um, when everything goes wrong in life. I have one on the crisis mode I talked about. But I also have like a couple others I, I forgot about. Like one of them is just a couple of weeks back from this recording, which is uh, March 19th, 2017. Uh, one of them is called, well, the whole name of it is Overcoming General Unease When Nothing Works Out in Life and Questioning Trust in Relationships. That uh, when nothing works out in life segment is very much similar to uh, what I was talking about in the last segment. So that will be helpful. And um, the other one with the crisis mode that's uh, just last week, Surviving the Crisis. And um let's see, anything else? Probably. Uh let's take a look. Bad luck and great fortune. There's a there's a bunch that were very recent around uh this topic, so go ahead and give a listen to anything around this date. If you go to the overwhelmedbrain.com and uh click on the home button, you'll see an episode list, and that takes you to the main episode page, which shows you the last hundred and sixty or so episodes. So check that out, and let me read you the next email. It's a short one, but it's an important one, and I'm going to call this person um, Sandy. Sandy says, I love your show. So far, you've taken on a lot of my own struggles, and I haven't finished yet about your segment on receiving, so maybe sending this is premature. I agree with what you said so far, but here's my question. What if a parent's uh, giving was a form of abuse? I have a very hard time receiving because I soon learned as a child that I owed above and beyond what was given to me and that I had to pay for it in shame. What an excellent question because that is something that is rarely talked about because I'll tell people, just say thank you. (laughs) When somebody gives you something, just say thank you. But what happens when it's attached to pain or abuse? This is very much similar to um, people having a hard time receiving love because when they received it when they were younger and they were abused, then they had that um, poisonous cocktail of love and abuse. So now they equate love with abuse. And that's a terrible place to be because love can be a wonderful thing and should not be associated with abuse. In fact, they are two different things. What our brain does is combine them. It, it uh, anchors them to one another so that when we think of abuse, we also think of love. Or when we think of love, we also think of abuse. Or in this case, when we think of receiving gifts, we equate it with abuse or pain or shame or something that uh, doesn't allow us to receive gracefully or graciously. So what do we do with that? How do we get beyond that? Well, I think the First thing to remember, and the first thing to focus on, is that a, you are absolutely worthy, of love, of gifts, of people's healthy uh, attention on you, of people's uh, healthy intentions for you. You are worthy of that. You must get to that point where you know you are worthy. But that's the that's the challenge, right? Sometimes is that you feel like you're not worthy and you don't want to take something from someone. In this case, it might be a little different. Maybe you do feel you're worthy, but taking it means that shame comes along with it later. So here's the second part of this, which is where are you attaching the pain, the abuse, or the shame? Do you attach it to the act of receiving or do you attach it to the gift Or do you attach it to the person doing it? That is a distinction that needs to be made. Because if your mom gave you stuff, or your dad, or whoever, and attached to it much uh, debt, emotional debt, emotional pain, whatever they did to make whatever they were giving you part of uh, an emotional abuse cycle, then go into your brain and rewire the attachment of that to the person, not the act. And I know that's another challenge. That's another difficulty. That's the kind of stuff that you can listen to 100 episodes of this show and still get to a point of how do I get to that point. And this show is a very helpful portal to get you to that point of feeling worthy and also detaching uh, some of the emotional pain To some of the good stuff in life. It's like if you were uh, sexually abused as a young person or even an older person, you might attach pain to sex or fear to sex and then suddenly you don't enjoy sex. And that's just awful. That's an awful place to be. And so that's why I think it's so important to remember, yes, you are worthy and yes, you absolutely have a right to enjoy gifts to enjoy in, in this example I just gave sex to enjoy love to enjoy attention to adjo- to enjoy people's intention for you when they're healthy, so that's the third thing. How do you know they're healthy? It involves getting to a place of trust toward them from them. you need to build your trust with people so if you can just work on your line of thinking of attaching that pain and shame and abuse to a person and not the act itself, then you can start to wrap your mind around the idea of starting to trust other people. Because really, it probably comes down for you, Sandy, uh, to a matter of trusting the person, but not necessarily the act. Because I'm pretty sure. That if you can think of someone that you trust absolutely, and they said, here, I would like to give you a gift. I mean, you might first jump into, oh, no, 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 that's okay. I don't, I don't want to take anything from you. And that person said, it would make me so happy if you took this. I would love to see your the smile on your face if you took this. You might still have reservations about taking it, but I think eventually you would take it. And eventually you would feel okay with it because that trusted person wouldn't uh, hold it against you later. They wouldn't put you into an emotional debt where they seek some sort of uh, reciprocation uh, for that later. But you may feel completely opposite of that. Let me me go that route. You may think, no, if I take it, then I just have this feeling that I'm going to have to owe it down the road no matter who it is. So I think the best way to start receiving without getting those feelings is to first take a leap of faith with people and receive in small ways. In fact, (laughs) here's what you can do. I want you to go to a a store where somebody has to open a door for you. (laughs) And what I want you to do is as you're walking toward the door, Wait for someone to walk ahead of you. You might have to walk a little slow. And then when they get to that door, be right behind them so that they have to turn around. I mean, most people will do this. They'll turn around or at least hold the door for you. And then I want you to go through that open door. I mean, you might have to put your hand out and grab the door. uh, But as you're going through it, and then I want you to feel grateful that someone uh, opened the door for you and just say, thanks a lot. And I want you to feel that inside. Just think to yourself, wow, they didn't have to do that, but they did it. And then say, thank you so much. And mean it. You might even say it like that. Thank you so much. Because if you're having trouble receiving, what better way to do it in something that almost all of us do on a regular basis? Hold the door open for someone as we're going through it. And I want you to recognize that that is Healthy receiving. And also notice that there's no expectation from the other person. This recognition has to start somewhere, and that's a great place to do it. I mean, there are other examples for sure, but that's a a simple one that we can all kind of relate to. So do that. And then what'll happen is that you'll start recognizing what receiving feels like, and it will reinforce that receiving is safe. And think once you get into that um, understanding of what receiving really is, which is accepting kindness from others, that is healthy giving and healthy receiving. But you will run into people that don't give healthily. They give with strings attached. And yes, you have to be aware of those people. Those are the kind of people that want something in return. They do exist. Hopefully not at the level that you've experienced where there was uh, shame or abuse attached to it, but those people do exist, which is why it's important to understand who you're uh, with and and who you can trust. So here's what I want you to do with um, anything else beyond level one of receiving, which is having the door open for you and thanking the person that did it. To graduate from that, to get to a place where you're comfortable receiving, I want you to practice giving. In a healthy way, and it's funny that I talk about this because, um I've never had a problem with receiving when somebody says, "Hey, can I get you dinner?" I'll go, "Sure, that sounds great because <laughs> I'm really happy that someone's buying me dinner, uh, but at the same time, I'll be the first to do a healthy giving as well. I'll be the first to actually offer that sometimes. "Hey, can I buy this dinner and that's what I want you to do is start giving in a healthy way in a way that you would like to be given to, even though you might not want any giving because you have all these attachments to it. But I want you to feel what it's like to give because that'll put you in the shoes of other givers and what it really feels like to give in a healthy way. And one of the best ways, I think, is when you're giving, for example, you buy someone lunch, you know, a friend, family, is to ask the question, hey, do you mind if I get this? Now, what that does, it's a very permissive way to give. It also has attached to it nothing at all. What it is, is that you, you get a good feeling when when somebody asks that way. There's It doesn't feel like there's an attachment to it, at least when I say it. Hey, do you mind if I get this? You might come up with another person who's not good at receiving and say, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't get it for me. I, it's all right. I got it. Uh, but just go back inside. no, I'd really like to get this. Do you mind? And um, if they say, well, no, and then you go, great, thank you so much. I really had a good time and I just wanted to show you that I care. What you're doing is giving in the way that you'd want to be given to, or at least if you're going to start practicing receiving, that's one way to put yourself in the other person's shoes to understand what it's like to give in a healthy way. That way, after you do that a few times, then you'll know it in others you'll know a healthy giver in others, if that makes sense. Because when you're with someone who wants to give to you, you're going to sense its authenticity and where it comes from, if it's healthy intentions or not. Most of the time, if you have good friends, trustworthy friends, trustworthy family members, then you'll find healthy giving in those areas too. But start doing it yourself in a way that feels good to give. Hey, do you mind if I get this? Because what you're doing is really getting a feel for what it's like for the giver. That way, when you're on the receiving end one day and you hear that person, you're going to feel, oh, I remember what it was like to give and for the other person to receive. I'm going to now offer that gift to them. Because it's really what it is. When I receive something that's offered to me, I choose to trust that the person giving it to me wants to do it from their heart. And then when I receive it, it makes them feel good. And by doing that, it makes me feel good. And of course, I feel good getting whatever I'm getting. And I think that's a great place to be. But you do need to practice it yourself so that you know both sides of the equation. So I hope that helps you, Sandy. Um, This could be a very deep topic for you. And there could be a lot more involved in this, like all the uh, emotional attachments that you have. And if there is an abusive past, then it could go a lot deeper and we might have to get into it in some other way. You might have to get uh, past some self-worth issues. But again, you are absolutely worthy of receiving and being the person that people want to give to. And you might just have that hurdle first. And if that's the case... Start listening to some older episodes on self-worth and self-esteem so you can get to that place and then definitely start practicing giving in the way that you would like to be offered or uh, given to. You may not want to be given to, you just may want to avoid that whole thing, but it's going to happen. I mean, this is life. People are helpful. People want to give and there are some quote bad givers out there, but most of us, I think we give from our heart. And that's where I want you to be is giving from your heart and also receiving from your heart as well. Hope this helps. Thanks for listening. Uh, We're going to end the show momentarily and I'll tell you my closing words. Be right back after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank January for her review in Amazon of The Overwhelmed Brain book. She left a wonderful, insightful review, and I am very appreciative. Thank you, January. Hey, if you've left a review for The Overwhelmed Brain, a personal growth for critical thinkers book, then I want to know about it. Just write to me at paul at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Let me know, and I'll thank you on the air. And I want to thank today's sponsor, Casper. Go to casper.com forward slash brain and use the promo code brain to get $50 off a super duper mattress. I want you to be comfortable. In fact, you can learn, heal, grow, evolve, and go to sleep on a wonderful mattress. How about that? (laughs) And I want to thank the members of the TOB patron program. In fact, if you're not a patron member yet, go to uh, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com And there is a complimentary episode that you can listen to. So, if you haven't joined yet and you want to know what it's all about, there is an episode that I put on there as a complimentary episode. In fact, I think it's called uh, something about complimentary relationships. Let me take a look here. It's called, uh, When Does a Complementary Relationship Turn Dysfunctional? There's a bunch of emails that I read on the air over there as well. So, if you think you're not getting enough TOB get over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Join the membership site and uh, you'll have access to that and you'll be supporting the show as well. And whether you're a patron or not, I want to thank you if you've purchased a book or a worksheet or use the Amazon link on the website. The Amazon link is the easiest way to give back. So if you've been listening to the show for a day or a year, then use that Amazon link every time you shop. And that's a good way to support the show. Your shopping habits are making a difference. So if you're using it, thank you. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the Overwhelmed Brain. And I'm going to end this show with a little uh, mind expansion process slash exercise. I was talking to a client uh, a couple days ago, and our, our entire session was really talking about expanding the self. How do you expand beyond yourself? How do you get beyond the realm of I, you know, uh, the ego I. When you say, I am a man, or I am a woman, or I am transgender, whatever you are, you know, I am this, I am that. Uh, When we say I am anything, we limit ourselves in the walls of the box or label that we create when we say it. I mean, think about that. I am Paul. I am a man. I am blonde. I limit myself in those labels. Is that all I am? No, of course not. Am I anything else but a man? Of course. I am also a human being. Am I anything else but that? And as I ask that question, am I anything else but, uh, I start expanding beyond my own definition of I. I don't know if this interests you or not, but <laughs> I love the conversation I had and uh, it, it really made me think for the past couple of days about um, who we actually are and who we actually relate to when we're communicating with other people. Because imagine this, imagine if you looked over at your spouse or your partner or a family member that uh, you were angry at. And you said, and this is exactly what my client and I were talking about. You said, my partner, he is angry or she is angry. Suddenly you've labeled a person as an emotional state. It's like you've limited them to a label instead of the full breadth of who they are. You've limited them to an emotional state. It's like they're not even human anymore. They're just angry. It's like you're looking at them and they're just a cloud of anger and that's all you see. And of course, your response to someone who is just an emotional state is going to be different if you're not responding to another person, a human being, uh, or something deeper and spiritual like a soul. And uh, because you have labeled they are angry, or they are sad, or they are afraid, then you only see them as that when you say it. I mean, you may not, but that's basically the idea behind it, is that you're not seeing the expansiveness of all that they are and just limiting them to the state they're in. They're feeling, they may feel anger, they may have anger. They may carry around anger, and then they may carry around happiness, or they may carry around all kinds of things. But to say that person is angry really limits the full spectrum of who they are. And so I'd like to thank my uh, client, <laughs> and uh, I appreciate that talk because it is a mind-expanding exercise. And how I mean, and what does that mean? What? Why is this important? I think it's important because when we talk to someone and let's just say we're in an argument or upset with them and we look over at them and instead of saying that person is X, we can say that person is so much more than just X. That person is so much more than just anger. That person is so much more than just yelling at me. (laughs) That person is so much more than... (laughs) hard-headed. <laughs> and when we start to see that, our mind starts to expand a bit, especially when we apply it to ourselves. I am not only Paul. What else am I besides Paul? What more am I than Paul? Well, you know, I'm a human being. Okay. What more am I than that? Well, uh, I'm I'm an animal. I'm a mammal. What more am I than that? And the idea is to keep expanding beyond what you are in thought so that we can stop labeling. Because eventually you're going to run out of words. You're going to run out of labels. And you might find yourself in a space that has no words and no labels. And then suddenly your mind expands. And that's a great place to be, especially when you're enmeshed in the emotions of a particular conversation that you're having with someone a heated debate imagine that imagine expanding outside those emotions because you realize that you are more than your emotions you are more than your labels they are more than their emotions they are more than their labels what happens typically as we get into trigger mode I am triggered therefore I am angry when we're triggered then we bring out the labels so if we can think beyond the labels when we're triggered that's when things get interesting. That's when we can step outside of ourselves and look at things from a a unique perspective. Have you ever heard the term uh, perceptual positions? It's when you uh, think about something that happened to you in the past and when you think about it you're either looking through your own eyes as if you're in your own body looking out into the world or at people or you're outside your body looking at yourself like you're in the picture Looking at uh, the environment, looking at the other people, but you see yourself in there as if you're watching a movie of yourself play out Uh, So that's one position. You can change your perception your perceptual position and put yourself inside the other people looking at you Now there's a different position of the way you see things And how about you're not in anyone's body and you're looking down from the ceiling or you're looking at the situation from 500 feet away there's all these different perceptual positions that help you see things in a different way and also when you do that it takes you out of your own emotions and you get to experience sometimes the emotions of other people or you get to experience a scene without emotions you get to see other people experiencing emotions but because you're not in the the scene then you're just watching other people experience emotions. And when you do it, you typically become curious and fascinated and wanting to know more. And almost always, you'll learn something new, especially when you jump into the other person. (laughs) So that's a fun thing you can do with um, any memories that you have, especially if the memories aren't pleasant. Like, I'm so mad at you. You are a bad person. And then you jump into the eyes of that bad person and then you're suddenly thinking, what would this bad person think? What are they thinking now? What are they doing to me now? And you got to be careful. You don't want to do this with severe abuse and very, very bad situations. But try it with something minor and then move into other memories and see what happens. It really shifts your perspective and I think it's an educational thing to do. So give it a shot. (laughs) And uh, let me help you Reach that place of a new perceptual position by giving you the very first step, which is opening your mind. And after you do that, you're going to step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.